Can God Feel Emotions? Today we are joined by Mark Ragsdale as we explore this question on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while entering into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the time we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. And we are joined by a good friend of mine, uh, Mark Ragsdale, who lives in Appomattox, Virginia. He is a fellow Ph.D. student at uh, Liberty University uh, in the uh, Theology and Apologetics program. Uh, He received his Master of Divinity also from uh, Liberty University. So, Mark, thank you so much for being with us today on the podcast. It really is a pleasure and a blessing for the invitation. I thank you so much for that, Brian. Absolutely, anytime. And so we're going to start off today by asking, if you will, to uh, share your testimony and how you came to know the Lord. Sure. Um, I guess I'm what uh, many would consider, and I I certainly consider to be a late bloomer. Um, Sometimes I ask folks, particularly in the South, because I grew up in the Northeast, the, the popular Southern answer I've noticed is, you know, when were you saved? How long you've been saved? That You know, the pat answer is, well, I've always gone to church. Um, well, me too, I guess, if you want to count, you know, my time and my family, my upbringing in the Catholic church. Uh, but at uh, 41 years old, uh, almost a dozen years ago, um, I just had reached the end of my rope, and, and it was really the uh, the foundations of what I refer to an eye problem. Um, I had worked hard in the family business. I had purchased that family business. Um, when the recession hit, uh, that family business was failing and I was on the hook for the note. And um, I had to sell everything. I lost my finances. I uh, was losing my marriage and um, so I, my eye problem is I needed the Lord. Um, and I didn't even know that. He had sent somebody uh, as an evangelist to my house. I remembered him from when I was a child, and he had read, I guess, something about me and uh, came to my house and led me to the Lord. And um, I've never been the same since. I mean, completely different path. As you had mentioned, Brian, I, I ended up um, at Liberty and hoping to finish that degree, um, this last one, this terminal degree by May of 2021, and just uh, teaching others about the Word of the Lord as I as I study and, and come to know Him better. 
Amen, amen. Yeah, you you were you were setting a, a record pace, taking three classes at one time, and I have to let everybody know that this PhD program is some serious business because each class you read. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Around three thousand, thirty-five hundred pages a class, and and you've been able to take three classes, and that is just uh, mind-boggling to me. It is absolutely amazing how you've how you've done that. I, I I bless my poor wife, and I tell her she's she's a seminary widow <laughs> you know, because you know um, she's really made uh, sacrifices that have allowed me to uh, focus my attention on this, and and there's other techniques I. As I had shared with you privately, um, I try and get as many of these texts on audiobooks um, through software devices and whatnot, which helps me read faster and retain notes and, and, and whatnot. So the Lord's been good. The Lord's been faithful. Um, Amen. Put me through it, you'll get me through it. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And I was just thinking, as you were saying that you were finishing May 2021, uh, that's actually when, hopefully, uh, the game plan is that's when I'll be finished with my coursework, and then we'll work towards uh, my dissertation after that. Uh, fun stuff. <laughs> I will be um, what I guess what they call in some programs ABD, all but dissertation, uh, this coming August. Uh, wow. course, ABD in Liberty terms means I have three uh, written comprehensive exams to take, and I still have to do some work on uh, German as a research language. But functionally, yeah, by Labor Day, I'll be quitting going to intensives, and I won't be reading uh, 3,000 pages per class anymore. But I'll be right with you. You know, I, here's my goal is that you have to call me doctor because you'll no longer be my uh, my cohort. And then by the time you get out, I've already got it. So I can just call you Brian. I was telling <laughs> today. Hey, that works. That works. <laughs> and if you can't tell already, Mark and I, we have a good time. <laughs> you know, yeah, we do. I, the Lord, the Lord in his word is a, is a good time. I and mean, of course, this doesn't feel good when you get convicted by something by his Holy Spirit. Right. And you know you need to make a change. That's, you know, I wouldn't say that's necessarily pleasurable, uh, but the outcome is always good. Um, the studies are always enlightening and revelatory, so it's enjoyable. We have a good time. Absolutely. Well, looking looking at our material today, we're talking about uh, the issue of uh, God. Does he experience what we would have uh, in emotions. And, and before we begin this, I want to mention that uh, you and your wife, Lori, have an online ministry uh, that you've just started uh, through your Facebook page. And uh, on Monday nights at 7 p.m., would you like to share a word about that before we get into uh, the, the, the major issues? Yeah, I, I guess my, you know, my pulpit experiences are, um, we have two church plants in Nicaragua, but that is all done by um, a local pastor. Um, we trust him, but we cover him, pray for him, and support him spiritually and financially. Um, Liberty, as you know, is more of a fundamentalist Baptist institution. Uh, I am personally not Baptist. I know, Brian, you're Baptist, uh, but I end up preaching often in Baptist churches uh, because I'm sent there by Liberty to fill in when, when pastors, they need breaks or uh, they're in between or whatever the story is. Um, but that's not a consistent thing. I mean, go on for weeks at a time where every Sunday that's where I'm at. Um, but I guess the, the, besides my day job as a student, 
I can certainly offer teachings on Facebook uh, for a half an hour, 45 minutes a week. And I, generally, I got ministry partners in that and people contributing. And we just feel as though that's a good way to um, get the message out, make, make the fruits of all the studying and reading we do. I mean, you, you, Lord puts ideas in, in, our, in our mind and says, okay, you know, I want you to share this um, and, and empowers us by his spirit. And um, I think that's a lot of what we're talking about today, but we're pretty consistent with that uh, on Facebook. And you can certainly find me and, and, and friend me or find Brian and get to me through him or something. Absolutely. And we'll try to uh, uh, maybe as we post this on uh, Bellator Christie, maybe have a link if you're OK with that uh, to your Facebook page so people can find you and and uh, and watch and, and watch, you know, the, the videos that you put out. And I think you do a wonderful job, you and Laurie both. Uh, but first of all, let's ask the question, how, you know, as we talk about emotions, and this past Monday you were talking about uh, this very issue, how would you define the soul and its relationship to the mind, will, and emotions? Well, um, I believe, and in, in through, through scriptural foundation, uh, that hopefully we can argue this today, because that's apologetics. This is this is kind of a, maybe an internal apologetic for believers. And I believe in the Lord. I believe in Christ as my Savior. Uh, what is the soul? What you just mentioned, those three things, the mind, the will, and the emotions are what comprises the soul. That, that's what it is. So uh, we know that we get one unshared soul each at creation. The Bible supports that. Um, interestingly, and I want you to look at this now in Genesis. Um, we see over and over and over again that the Lord, right, speaks things into existence. Agreed? Absolutely. Okay. Except when he creates Adam, he breathes Adam. Mm. So there, I believe, is some connection to the breath, and, and here is why. So when God uh, knows us before the foundations of the world, again, Scripture numbers every hair on our head. Uh, there's an ordination there, a literal breath transference. If we look at that Imago Dei, which is the uh, image of God, um, while the creative breath gives us life, it is his breath that is pure. And, and so maybe I'm jumping a little ahead here, um, but when we talk about breath, that is our spirit. That's also can be found in original biblical languages that is spirit and i think a lot of times what i found is in christian teaching i'm not blaming anybody i'm just saying there was a lack in my life i just didn't get it from anybody because i would get confused over things about what's the spirit and what's the soul are they the same thing here's where the difference is um even though our breath comes from him it is literally the life you can, and it's not exactly a word for spirit. You can find it in New Testament called uh, Zoe, uh, life. Uh, on the other hand, our soul um, that we get is immediately subject to generations of, of stain that go all the way back to Adam. That, that's what the fallen condition or nature is, the inherent wickedness of the heart. Okay, that stuff resides in the soul. So... When we talk about um, sanctification, the cleaning out, so let's say I'm saved now. At 41 years old, I'm saved. 
there still is a sanctification process, a cleaning out, and that stuff happened in the soul, in the mind, in the will, and in the emotions. You know, I think that's an interesting point you bring up there because, you know, the Greek word uh, pneuma uh, means, you know, is, is, with spirit, you know, in the, the suke, I think it means, it means the mind. Uh, but both words, especially pneuma, has uh, a relationship to what we would call wind, uh, you know, like this empowering life energy. And it's interesting you mentioned that part about him breathing breath of life into, you know, humanity. And I think uh, that's, that's a very good point. Well, I mean, when we talk about things like the heart and the mind, I, I think that the uh, the tendency is to transport them to into biological terms, mm, right? Cool. When they're really used as spiritual terms. Like, I know my heart pumps blood. I know my mind has thoughts, but I can easily conflate my mind with, let's say, my brain. Okay, so for purposes of, I think, exegesis, this understanding of um, what what the word means to me, I would argue that the heart and the mind are co-equal. The heart and the mind are, scripturally at least, uh, the same thing. And as you said, um, those words you use, like psyche, which is which is soul. Okay, that's like ego. That's personality. But the spirit, you said that uh, pneuma in the New Testament or ruach in the, in the Old Testament means wind or breath, which is really the essence of uh, life. So I would argue that logically, uh, logically now, the mind or the heart is part of what makes the soul. And the soul is different from the spirit then because the mind and the spirit are necessarily different things. I said the mind and the heart are the same, at least spiritually or biblically, okay? But the spirit is a different thing. And I give you this example. The Bible asks us to be Christ-minded, Christ-minded as a, a renovation of the soul. And in, instead of our own old fallen mindlessness that is soul stuff it's a matter of the soul to be christ-minded on the other hand uh, god uses the apostle paul to say several times and i, and I can give you the scriptures if you like brian i don't have an, an eye on the clock but particularly in romans and oh, we're, we're, we're good share away okay so let's say for example uh roman 8 15 right romans 8 15 the spirit you received does not make you slave. You hear that? Mm -hmm. He doesn't say the soul you received. Paul's careful here. I expect he said what he meant. The spirit you received does not make you slaves. or make uh, So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Not your soul, your spirit. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. In other words, our spirit is what makes us bold, not our soul, but our spirit, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, Paul's not praying here that we get a, another soul, is he? Mm -mm. All right. So I, I would just say then, finally then, um, the soul and the spirit are different things uh, because the spirit is breathed into us, delivered us, interrupted, imago Dei, from the breath of God, and Scripture uses the words in the original language, meaning breath, both in the Old and New Testament. Um, so I, I, I guess if we look at all four Gospels, right, watch this. Maybe this will bring it home, at least this little part here. In all four Gospels, after Jesus asks Father to forgive his torturers and murderers, it says he gives up the Spirit meaning his breath or his life, right? I mean, he died right. right then, okay? Number two, the body can't live without a spirit or breath. In fact, it goes, it goes back to dust. But consider that, except Jesus was resurrected, right? Exactly. But, okay, but, but watch, watch this. Incorporeal bodiless beings like angels and demons, right? can exist as they are created without either a body or a soul. Hmm. So think about that. So, and I got a couple couple of uh, interesting things that are, if anybody academics out there that want to study something, um, I, I got a couple of things that can, would make good papers. So, so just, just a quick question, and this is an interesting thing. So whenever a person dies, you know, because obviously we have, you know, mind, will, and emotions, and do you see there being some, even though there are different things, a connectiveness to the soul, the soulish nature of a person and the spirit? I think that's a place that's that's worthy of study, certainly. Um, because if the soul were unimportant or not un everlasting, everybody gets one of them, then why would the sanctification process be required? Right. Okay. But it is the, I think it's the unaffected um, spirit of a person that they're made with that doesn't get any attention at all. Hmm. I mean, in other words, um, if, if, if God's got a spirit, okay, and we, we talk about that, and I've got a spirit, why would it be wrong for me to pray spirit to spirit? In other words, I don't have to wash my prayers through a stained soul that's in the process of being sanctified. I don't even have to bring everything exactly to my own mind as to um, what I'm praying. Hmm. In other words, if it's spirit to spirit, I can just pray to the Lord in, in that perfected state that he's that he's given me and i i, I know that it, and it makes it difficult doctrinally for for different denominations when necessarily maybe they're told that there's been a cessation of gifts and um you know the, nobody speaks in the tongues anymore nobody interprets tongues anymore that isn't the way we prophesy anymore and people hear this and i heard this from the church i still hear it today. i i preach in churches that would teach this so i avoid this subject altogether from the <laughs> I just avoid it because I'm not there to aggravate people. I'm there to encourage them. And but these are doctrines that they've received their whole life. So yeah, does your spirit go 
um, go with you? I, I don't really know. It's worthy of study. Your soul does, and your soul at the time of your death might not even be fully sanctified. I think Norman Geisler has uh, mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, I've heard some other people who who may have made distinctions between, and the re- this is a part of the reason why I asked the question, distinctions between the soul and the spirit, but basically say that there's, in some sense, an interconnectedness, even though they're separate, there's an inter, may perhaps even an interconnectedness between the two, so that both, uh, at least during the intermediate state between a person's death and and the you know the final resurrection, that 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 part of a person exists until the final resurrection. Uh, but this actually leads us to another aspect, and one of the main topics that we're talking about today, and and that is. Uh, about emotions, does you know? Because of course we know, theologically speaking, that uh, God is uh, transcendent. He is also imminent, transcendent, meaning he's beyond the scope of creation. Uh, meaning that creation does not restrict him. Uh, we also know that he's very imminent. Uh, there's an unchanging nature to God. Uh, but theologically speaking, there have been many individuals who've asked the question that if God is uh, unchanging. Uh, is it possible, and if he is transcendent, at least to some degree, is it possible for God to experience and, or have emotions? So, so what do you say about this? I'm happy. I'm happy to answer that um, real briefly. Where you just came from, I think. Where if, if somebody wants to study this thing about spirit, you talk Geisler. Want to speak about? I think it's the crossover is at the will, and and here's why I say that because angels and demons don't have souls but they have a will as evidenced by a third of the angels that chose to rebel against god and the two-thirds of the angels that are on our side hmm. so i think the crossover if you're going to study the, the the connectedness between spirit and soul is the will um so back to the more important question uh about god and emotions um yeah and i hopefully answer this outside of just what, what my opinion would be or what my experience would be, because that, that could be accused as just straight-up theism. Like, I, I, I argue it's so because I feel it's that way. Right. And in order for you to know that it's so, you have to be reliant upon my feelings <laughs> or, or my emotions. But, um, yeah, I, there's scriptural evidence, okay? Uh, like, for example, um, Lord God himself uh, expressing love. All right? It's in... It's as early as Deuteronomy, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea. Uh, it's in the New Testament, Mark, John, First John, uh, and that's generally that that's spoken also in context of his faithfulness. His love is spoken in context of his faithfulness. Um, it's it, Psalms speak about his uh, compassion. Prior to that, we we see it in in Exodus. Uh, we, we see. Uh, him um, speaking of his compassion in, in Judges, uh, again, a New Testament, Matthew and, and Mark, um, he expresses joy. We see that in Deuteronomy and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Luke. We see, we see definitely anger. Again, in, in Deuteronomy, uh, prior to that, Exodus, we see it in uh, Josiah, Ezekiel, New Testament. Again, Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, and, of course, we, we see grief. 
Um, and hopefully I, I can I can get into that a little bit uh, later with you. I mean, we can quote some of these scriptures if you want, but um, and I'm prepared to do that. But I think the important thing is that as human beings in our fallen state, we have a tendency to judge some of these emotions as being really positive and some of these emotions as being really negative. And um, I think it's the allocation of the, the motive or the allocation of the emotion putting energy into motion um, that that ultimately can be thin. But in Imago Day to say that we're built in his image, except we have him, we have emotions and he doesn't, I think is uh, is it requires that you just don't explore scripture at all. You, you don't think about it when you read it and, and or you don't go back to scripture to try and vet it out. Um, but it, I, it's definitely there and it's it's theirs for you to uh, to read and take and meditate on. Well, it would, it, would, it would seem that, you know, what John says in his first letter that God is love. I think it's chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And it would yeah. s- seem like that if God is love and and this is, well, obviously you have the word agape, meaning, uh, you know, a love of choice, unconditional love. But it would seem that to be able to love someone or something that you would have to at some at some level, have at least some form or sort of emotions in order to truly love someone. Yeah, and I think you can get down to some of this stuff, okay? So First John, it is First John 4, uh, 8, 10, and 19, so very good, yeah. Um, when you talk about different levels of love, because he has that discourse with Peter, uh, over, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, God asked you a question once. It's really, come on, get up the rent. Uh, if, he, if he asked you three times, right? And then the first time you give an answer, he, he asks again, you probably want to rethink your answer. Just saying, uh, you know, not that I'm Peter and not that I would have wanted to be, but um, it would occur to me that if you look at it contextually, for example, a lot of these things are a choice over what we would consider an emotion. And I think that's what we mean by positive and negative. In other words, um, let's, take, let's just say forgiveness, right? We know God's forgiven us over and over and over again, right? I mean, sin is only son. So, so I mean, that's sacrifice, so, so that we would be forgiven. And, um, but that's a choice. In other words, I can choose volitionally to forgive you for something, um, even though I don't quote unquote feel like it. I mean, my mind could be running like a racehorse over the things and I'm just making this up, brother. I'm, you know, I have nothing against you, but I'm, if, if, if like, oh, well, Brian did this to me or he said this to me and I took offense. Right. And so my emotion, the part in my, in my soul, right. My mind, my will, my, it's running like a wild pony and it's saying, you know, that's so-and-so and, you know, how can I how can I ever forgive him? Well, here's how you make a choice. Exactly, and that and that's the whole I think uh, importance of that highest form of love, agape love. It's it's a love of choice. It, you know, in that regard, you know, you might can say, well, you know, there 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 may not be emotions involved. Well and good, but I still think there you know there's emotional connectiveness to that. But as you say, and I think you're right, there is a volitional decision. To, to forgive or, or to to love that person and and to go that route and that's really the core of what what you and I study brother I mean look 
I had people go, I don't like apologetics. And I said, well, why, why don't you like apologetics? Because I think we just need to have faith. And they see that faith, okay, the choice of faith as necessarily existing in the absence of the rationed mind, the reasonableness that he provides in Scripture, mm. the logic that we're given. It's, it's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 3.15, you probably have other guests bring this up every week. But it says, always be prepared to give a defense of your faith or a reason for your faith. So even though I choose to have faith, God gave me a mind to use. Uh, it is connected to the soul. It is, it is corruptible. Uh, in the soul, we see will. In the spirit, we see will. Um, but a lot of it, like you say, is just volitional. Okay, I can choose to love somebody even though they really hurt me. I can Absolutely. choose to exercise compassion over somebody, okay, even though they have shown me none personally. I can get up in the morning and choose to have joy even though I'm tough. I'm suffering some very, very difficult uh, circumstances in my life. There's righteous anger in the Bible, okay? Jesus tipped over tables. That didn't sound like a happy God to me. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. Um, and, and, and I think as we're going to see later, if we get to it, um, we, we are told— in Scripture, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can do that to God. Ex explain, explain your understanding of of that passage of Scripture while we're on this uh, about grieving the Holy Spirit and even about quenching the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's um. Let me see. Here's here's probably some good some good examples. Um, there's times when God judges rebellious individuals okay there's people that argue that scripture um is telling us to love and that's true and there's times that scripture tells us to worship and that's true and there's times really all over the place where scripture tells us to obey and then we don't not like we necessarily are really good at doing the other things sometimes um but if you if you just see like this this progression, and I, I just I love theology that, that that reaches from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, a lot of times we talked about corporate stuff, like as a group, like Israel was judged corporately, right? And um, it was it was out of disobedience. So uh, it, like in Hosea eleven one, um, God says when Israel was a child i loved him he uses a personal pronoun for a group of people if you look in the in the old language you can see that it's a it's a plural uh and out of egypt i called my son again it's a it's used singularly but he's talking about israel he's talking about a group of people um but the more that they were called, the more they went away from me uh they 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 sacrificed to baals which are obviously false gods, right? And they burned incense to images. I skip over another verse. It led them with cords of human kindness. I led them with cords of human kindness regardless. Uh, to them, uh, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent them to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? Here comes, here comes a problem, okay? He pulls them out of Egypt. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them? We're talking about Babylonians now, right? Mm -hmm. Because they refuse to repent. 
So here's an example. Did they grieve God? Obviously. He uses the prophet to describe it. He's obviously been grieved by their behavior, particularly in light of everything he's done for them, and he may need to correct them like a parent. And I think that's an example, although it's early and it's the it's the Old Testament, that's an example of grieving the Holy Spirit. Here's something even more severe. You remember the story in uh, Acts 5 with uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Absolutely. Feeling the tithe? Okay. Um, so what's it? 5-5 five, five, when Ananias heard this, okay, that he was caught stealing the, stealing the, the tithe um, and great fear seized him. And he died. And when his wife heard about it, she died. Um, so my, my real question is, what's happened to great fear? What's happened in society to fear the Lord? Why would we just do whatever we want and expect him not to have emotions about it? Hmm. Because of Jesus, we don't call on, paid for it, so he doesn't have a negative feeling about uh, what we've done. In other words, he's, he's not weeping as a parent. You and I would. Um, I think that kind of goes in with that uh, what many have called easy believism that you find many times in the American church that you basically accept Jesus and then you know just continue to live your life as you did before. But he, he Jesus came to make a change in our lives to to make us better uh, than we are, like uh, 2.0, if you want to say it like that, to to recreate us to to resurrect us. And so I kind of wonder if if some of that idea that you know. The, the rejection of, of uh, even considering that we may do emotional pain in our relationship to God, if that may come from that kind of easy believism. I'm sure, I'm sure it does. Um, I think you can take anything unbiblical, which is a high standard. I don't know, it was a 31,200 and some odd uh, verses in the Bible. And, and I'm not doing this legally, legalistically, let's say, but there's a lot of room for disobeying God. Mm. And even though we've been relieved of it, okay, uh, post-Jeremiah, now New Testament, um, being a slave, okay, really to the Holy Spirit who convicts us and counsels us, and we know sometimes that we just, we don't do what we're supposed to do. And yeah, that that's a grieving event. Um, what's it say, Paul in... Um, Ephesians uh, 4.30, um, have we never grieved our own earthly parents, disappointed them in some uh, justifiable way, um, my notes say. So why would it be different with God, Heavenly Father, even though we, he forgives us? And that quenching, I think, that you had, you had questioned about before, it's like throwing water on his holy fire. Mm. And that's I, I love that symbol because uh, many times in Scripture, fire is a symbol used of God's presence. I mean, you have oil, you have the uh, dove, uh, clouds, and fire. And there's something particularly special about the fire symbol for God. I mean, because there's in these theophanies and Christophanies that you often see, especially the theophanies, the, the manifestations of God's presence in the Old and New Testament, he, he often comes like a blaze of fire, like a, the, the fire, you know, burning fire of the bush, you know, that we see that Moses encountered and things of this nature. So I like that. You know, it, it's almost as if we're throwing water on, on the fire of God. And I like that illustration. 
Well, I mean, I think, uh, correct me, I don't have this exact scripture written down, but um, is it Malachi that says that, um, it, like, God is like a smelter of silver, where he he holds that silver into the fire until he can see his own reflection? Um, I believe that's where it's at. I believe it's in the last Old Testament. Am I thinking right? Let, let me look it up right quick and see. Um so fire takes out it, it, regardless of where it's at and then i hope i'm right um but if i if even if i'm not if somebody wants to look it up um when you when you cleanse silver right you heat it up you stick it in the center of the hottest spot of the fire and the carbon and the, and the impurities drop off actually into the fire but what's left is uh, the pure silver and the taking it from the human perspective, the person that, that cleanses that silver so something can be made out of it uh, knows it's done when uh, he can see his own reflection in that silver. Okay, you have it in Malachi 3.3, which says, and I'm reading from the CSB, uh, he will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Wow. So that's a use of fire upon us. Exactly. So throwing, you talked about quenching the Holy Ghost. Why would you want to throw water on that? Even though, I mean, I tell you, it hurts. I mean, if silver had nerves, it would hurt getting stuck in the center of the fire. And we do have nerves. And God already knows ahead of time it's going to hurt. Um, but he's trying to do what? Cleanse us. What's he trying to cleanse? Our soul. He's trying to correct his own children just like a parent would. And we don't want to throw water on that. Uh, so when you're getting uh, corrected, counseled, disciplined, convicted, um, I firmly believe that's what's going on. And I believe God needs to have those emotions to know what it feels like. Because he's good and holy. He doesn't have the uncleanliness that we do. Uh, but he still needs to know what it feels like to be hurt or to be angry or to be joyous or to grieve. And he demonstrates that in his word and even shows us some some emotions that we would think. I mean, can you picture Jesus tipping over tables? I mean, if you get that <laughs> image in your mind, you're like, oh, no, Jesus is nice to everybody. Well, so sometimes we don't fully understand what God's up to, but just he's up to he's up to all good. And that's something we all need to remember, you know, and, and I like what, the way you put that, too. And, and it brings up a, a concept that we may not even think about, because sometimes when we talk about quenching the spirit, we may think about, you know, standing in the way of the, what the Lord's doing in some type of ministry. But really, quenching the Holy Spirit may be standing in the way of what God's trying to do in our li own lives. Yes. Even in Amen. that purification process. A Amen. And again, that's a good, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm always thinking in terms of what's a good area to study next, because I don't ever get to them. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> we have the time is to do, and we have, you know what I mean? we got these other responsibilities that precede our individual inquiries that I love having anyway, even though I I'd probably die having a million of them that I haven't gotten to. Um but when you take the corporateness of the Old Testament and, the, you know, the corporate and group judgment, they were either all blessed or they were all with very little exception. I know we can find some exceptions. Um, 
but then again, in, uh, in in Joshua, you know, after the incident at, at AI and Aiken stealing stuff, the whole family got wiped out. All his livestock, every, it, it was a corporate group thing. So that's kind of what Paul carries into the New Testament, and he writes in the plural a lot. Um, but there is individual accountability. Uh, it's not that we just neglect everybody in the church and we go, it's all for one and one for all. I'm 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 what's important here. Um, there's some definite individual relationship that not everybody got. I mean, was everybody treated like Abraham in the Old Testament? No, certainly not. And, and But yet, nonetheless, nonetheless, Jesus hangs around with a dozen people. I mean, he couldn't have picked better people than those 12 people. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I think a lot about John, and but I'm sure John had his faults. And, you know what I mean? He's he's hanging around among us, and, and when he dies, he sends us the Holy Spirit, and that's our relation. That's what we got. That's our direct connection to God. And I think, you know, using your words, that uh, we can throw water on that. We can quench that. Well, even with John and his brother James, it says that they were, the you know, called the sons of thunder because they, they apparently, I don't know if you would say it was a temper or what it was, but they wanted to call down judgment on people. <laughs> Jesus was having to scale them back and says, all right, all right, back guys, you know, back, you know, fall back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, trying to be God's Rottweiler. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Mark, I noticed we have about uh, a little less than 10 minutes left, and I noticed as we were uh, looking through some of the notes that you mentioned something about uh, if if you feel led to do so about a, the personal testimony of uh, of your family uh, is is there anything like you like to share on that in that regard? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, my I, I think I described it my um my journey um to to the salvation the Lord had for me was um, unique and different probably than anybody else's and everybody else's because I think that's the that's the power in testimony is everybody's is different. Absolutely. Um. And that's why it's such an, an important uh, use for for evangelism, because except maybe in postmodernism, I know you're doing a lot of work with that. Uh, in postmodernism, one of the ideas is there is no absolute truth. So um, I can lay out all the facts in the world and uh, the, the escape uh, plan from that is, well, that may be true for you. And for any of us that have tried to witness to somebody, they they – the, you know, the fallback is, well, I'm glad religion works for you. And just kind of kind of ignore what the rest of the uh, conversation is about. And to the point where uh, I used the Rottweiler analogy earlier, um, I can't know for sure that that's a Rottweiler tied to the tree out front. Uh, that's how nasty the world has uh, descended. And uh, But nonetheless, I think we can use apologetic methods, but the strongest thing that you don't need to have huge education in is is what uh, was done uh, since Jesus' death and resurrection, and that's witnessing to somebody in your own words and experiences to what you did uh, and, and how, how he did what he did in you. Like, uh, this is who I was. Then I met Jesus, and here I am today. So I, I had, I had shared that at the outset. Um, I didn't have God until He allowed everything to blow away in the wind, and then I'm standing there alone, naked, crying, and I come to Him, 
if there was more to lose, it happened after I was saved because mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic and uh, the changes in me were not, I would say, necessarily pleasant for uh, the demonic infrastructure that uh, the enemy had helped build around me. And uh, so I was no longer in anybody's control except the control of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and and that's the best place to be. <laughs> it is the best place to be. But let me tell you, it says first count the cost, okay? You're gonna pay. You're gonna pay for it in some areas. There, there's gonna be some things. Um, if you like just running around, going out and getting drunk and looking at dirty pictures, that's probably gonna go. You can probably kiss that one goodbye. That's an easy one. But if if it costs you sometimes your friends and it costs you your family and hopefully in this time we've had together, I, I hopefully I don't sound like too much of a nut. <laughs> Um, you know, but the, like the words "Jesus freak" and whatever have been thrown around, and that's just nasty. Yeah. Um, but that happened in my family, and um, so most all of them don't even talk to me anymore, and that's very very sad. Um, and it doesn't really matter what you know what my my apologies are, and they to some degree at least understand my testimony. So I, I just want to let you know that that doesn't necessarily make them right and you wrong. It just makes you a pursuer of Jesus Christ. And the more that you can understand about his character and his nature and his record, particularly throughout history, and then as applied in your own life, the greater influence or you're going to be over other people. And regardless of who else likes it or doesn't like it, God's really going to appreciate it. He's really going to appreciate you doing that. Um, Jesus had no marketing department. He didn't have a TV show. Uh, Oprah didn't have him on. Okay, <laughs> but he, he's rocked the world. Absolutely. And as many problems as the church has, and they have had a lot of church, a lot of problems. The church has had a lot of problems throughout history. Um, it has survived uh, and flourished, and 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 it is. We are the bride of Christ. So, despite the people trying to quench the spirit. God's given you, uh, as one popular elder professor under our program says, Brian, persevere, brethren, persevere. Amen. And Mark, believe it or not, we are out of time, and those are some wonderful words uh, to close the podcast with, to persevere, and that's exactly what we need to do. So, Mark, we thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hope, Hope to have you back on again soon. And so be, be sure to tell Lori and Anselm, uh, uh, he's got a, a good-sized German Shepherd. Uh, be sure to tell him we said hello. And so for Mark Ragsdale, this is Ryan Chilton, and you've been listening to the Bellsville Christian Podcast. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. 
for Brian Chilton. This is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.